Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing great. I'm excited about this episode, man. I've been catching up on the Duck Lore episodes that I hadn't seen, which was half of them, and I'm, yep. I'm pumped. I'm excited to talk to Sean. Oh, yeah. I am, too. It's definitely a, an exciting one. Um you know, when Meat Eater decided to come out with uh, duck hunting content, something that you really didn't see a lot on their content, just episodes here and there on some of their Netflix series. So um, overall, I was definitely, you know, definitely excited to see uh, what they uh, would produce, you know, what, what they would come out with. And, and you know, as a, as a whole brand, you know, I'm, uh, I do enjoy a lot of the stuff that Meat Eater does from their podcast to their video content and just like they just have a different take and a different feel when it comes to their content compared to anybody else in the industry. So um, I'm, I'm definitely with you on, on that, Elliot. I'm excited to get Sean jumping on here with us and, and having a, you know, a good old conversation and talking all about duck hunting and, and everything that they've got going on with uh, that duck lore series. Yeah, me too. I am ready to go. Awesome. Well, I got a I got a couple updates for you, Elliot. Before we jump into kind of the main, the main, uh, main part of the podcast. But you bought a boat. Um, bought another boat. Couple more. <laughs> couple more boats. I've been working on my boat builds, but you know, <laughs> I've been working. I got a couple things I'm, I've been working on, but no, that's not what the update's about. So I think from time to time we talked about it. Sporting clay. So I, I've, I went out. I've been doing a little bit of sporting clay shooting um, in the off season. False confidence and. I had, I think I had my my best round I've ever had out there. Last year when you yeah. had, when you shot with your uh, A five or this year? This year, this year. Really? What'd you shoot? Yeah, last year. Last year I, I did have a good, uh, a pretty decent round too. But um, we went out, me and me and my buddy Hunter. We took both our dads. We went on Father's Day. Um, we did, and, and the way it works. So if you're not familiar with sporting clays, it's a little different, you know. Um, and this is, it's super cool the way it's set up. I love doing it. I just wish it was, you know, uh, I wish I had infinite money so I could just go every day, but, <laughs> uh, they got the setup where it's, uh, all these different, um, uh, what would you call it? Stations in the woods and you walk through the woods. Um, they simulate real hunting situations. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got two different, um, clay pigeon throwers, one on your left and one on your right. Usually sometimes they're both on the left and. Sometimes they're both on the right. So 10 different stations, um, you know, you got you got some where they're going away from you, some where they're coming at you. Um, they always have one they call the rabbit where a clay mm. pigeon literally, like, comes rolling on the ground. Hard one. A pretty fast clip. So they got all different kinds of stations. It's super fun. Um, but, yeah, I went out there. I took my Wicked Wings A5 12-gauge this time around, and, um, man, I was just I was just on fire. So... Uh, the way it works, though, is everybody does it a little different, and we did we did fifty rounds over ten stations. A lot of people do ten round or a hundred rounds over ten stations, but you know you can kind of do that get 
get uh, more stations in with less shots and, and save you know save a few a few bucks that way. Um, but anyway, so the way we did it, you did one single, then you did a repeat where there's the two throwers. So one throw goes off as soon as you shoot it. Another one comes the the second one launches off after after you shoot. And then the last thing you do is a double, and the double is both throwers throw at the same time. Okay. So, and that's your five. So that's your five shots per station. But I only had four I did, I did in that. Well. Two singles and a double. I thought where's the fifth? You, no, one single, one single. And oh, one okay, gotcha, gotcha. So there's your first one, shot. Your first shot. One, two, and two. Oh. Yeah. So then the repeat is one goes out, you shoot it as soon as you shoot. The second one goes out and you shoot it. So that's your th- you're up to three shots now. Gotcha. And then your your fourth and fifth is the double where they both come out at the same time. Gotcha. So, how many did you miss you got, you, out of your fifty? You got any guesses? Well, you're feeling pretty cocky about it. And let me see. <laughs> I know last year you went one for twenty four once. So uh, you're feeling you're probably feeling really good at about twenty seven for fifty. I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but I've, it, that's just, that's just me. That's what I do. <laughs> you only missed 23. You only missed 23 times. No, no, I missed, uh, I, I hit 45 out of 50. Dang, that is really good. Sporting clays, I've done sporting clays once and I shot 50% and felt decent. It's hard. The one time yeah. I did it, it was hard. I feel so like that it's is amazing. Than, I feel like it's easier, easier than duck hunting, but. Well, I've seen your your uh, shooting percentages on fan sunstats, so I'd say for you it definitely is. Because you don't go forty five for fifty duck hunting. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody does. That's the see. Thing. I, I the find thing duck hunting way man. easier than than anything uh, sporting clay or, or clay pigeon related. I find shooting ducks way easier. Myself, it's how I feel. When you're up here sometime, we got to hit that course. I wish we could have when you came last year, but yeah, uh, it's super cool. I think, yeah, the thing about clay pigeons, you can hit hit it with like two BBs and it breaks, right? Mm. If you hit a duck with two BBs, most likely it's not going down. So that's, I think that's the big difference. You're hitting a lot of ducks that you probably don't, you know, you don't necessarily um, kill dead or you got to take another follow-up shot in them and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. There's really not a... Too many follow-up shots on a clay pigeon. So, <laughs> and forty-five for fifty, though—that's insane. That is—that is. I guarantee you, I would not. I'd be somewhere in the thirties, probably. I just the thing about duck hunting is I can decide when I shoot, and if I don't think it's a shot that I'm really competent at, I just don't shoot. Yeah, that's Where, true. You know, the yep. sporting clays—the reaction time is really quick on them. And and like when I grew up pheasant and quail hunting, I never did that great on reaction time shots. I really do better if I can anticipate it. Like ducks are typically coming towards you or, you know, side, at least the shots I shoot at are side, side to side, but they're typically closing the distance when I'm pulling the, the trigger. And a lot of times sporting clays, at least when I did it, it's like they're increasing the, the farther along, the farther they're away from you. And I'm just not that great at yep. those shots. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Most of them are probably like passing shots or maybe mm-hmm. they uh, show kind of what, what shooting like upland would be. You got birds flying away kind of deal. They did have some that flew at you, um, but it is really hard to simulate like a duck fluttering into the decoys, right? You don't have any of that with, with clay pigeons because they don't. Yeah. Once they start going, they really don't slow down. They just keep going to that same yeah. clip for the most the most part. So I um, say that you may not. That may be your record for your lifetime. If you beat that forty five out of fifty, I mean that's crazy. It just probably felt like you never even missed. Yeah, it was weird. I missed. Uh, it was. Uh, 
so the weird part is like the double is supposed to be the hardest part, right? Because right. you have two come out and you have to pick which one you're going to shoot first, and you're hoping the other one you still have time to get on that before it hits the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I missed more. I think I missed more repeats than I missed doubles. Where you, you had the time to shoot them and you just miss. Mm-hmm. Where the double, it's like almost like you don't think about it. You ever have that where if you're just overthinking something? Yes. Maybe you have it's a double coming right yeah. in. You aim right on it, and you're just holding it. You're holding it. You're holding it. You're holding it, and you're following them, following them. And finally, you pull the trigger, opposed yeah, to like yeah. reactionary, where it's like mm-hmm. here they come out of nowhere, and bam, they're like landing in the decoys. You never miss that shot. Right. But, when you get but, on a hot streak, it's like you're just pulling the trigger and nailing them. And when you don't, you're really thinking way too much about it, just like that. Yeah. 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 So that, that was fun. You're right. There's definitely not a one to one comparison as far as duck hunting, but. I think the biggest thing I've ever had that, to help me in the off season to keep my shot on is when I when I was doing a bunch of the pigeon hunting with Chief, trying to help him um, with some of the training. I would shoot pigeons, and that year going into the beginning of season, I was just lights out from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But typically for me, even if I shoot shoot sporting clays, even if I shoot doves, because again, those are just a different. It's a different. It's, it's a different pace. It's a different. Uh, um, rhythm than it is for duck hunting. You know, you got a different lead. You're not you're not really shooting birds cupping in the same way you do with pigeons. Is actually super similar. They're slow, um, and they'll cup down right over the uh, the spinner. You know, doves even when they cup in, man, they're coming. They're zipping in fast. So yeah, um, right. yeah. So I'll probably well, that's that is certainly impressive. Forty five out of fifty. I I am genuinely impressed with that. <laughs> sure. I'll oh, I don't know. I was gonna ask. We're using uh, like lead eights, sevens, eights. What we're using? <laughs> I'd have to go back and look. Honestly, I think it was probably it was probably eights. Yeah. Um, and it's just whatever they have, whatever they have at the, the place. Right. You know, I'm honestly I'm not 100 percent sure. But you're right. Yeah, that is another thing we've talked about this in the past. But you know, it's not it's not a waterfowl load, so it, it is going to come out at different speed and mm-hmm. and all that. But right. Yeah. Good deal. And the other thing I was going to talk about. All right. So second update for this. Um, I did a poll in the Fellowship of the Nut Gun, um, Elliot. And did you notice that Facebook changed the way their polls are set up? No. It's garbage now. And like, like the, they did it the right way the first time. I have no idea why they changed it. But it used to be like if you put a poll, whatever has the most votes is at the top. Mm-hmm. And then it tapers down following that. Now it's just like whatever order it was in, it, and it doesn't update that when you get votes. So oh, that's stupid. Yeah. I'm sure they did it for like some political reason or something. <laughs> well, we don't want to feel bad. We don't, we don't want anyone to look like uh, they're in yeah. first. Yeah. It's, I, I don't understand it. It's like it's the worst way to organize it. So yeah, That is dumb. Anyways, they did it like mid-pool. The pool was right, and then all of a sudden they updated, and all of it's just in whatever order it was entered. So first come, first serve kind of deal. But anyways, so Fellowship of the Duck Gun, we did a poll. I did a roll call on there. And um, so did you even see that poll or not? Uh, about about what state we're from? That yeah, one? what state people are from. I did see it. I don't recall what, the, what it panned out, but I did see it, yeah. Yeah, well, um, I was proud of my uh, fellow Michigan hunters, which... Honestly, I, I, I guess I was a little surprised. Michigan was far and away the number one um, people we have in the fellowship. They came <laughs> in at like 
And then it was followed by Indiana, Texas, and then the great state of Kansas. It was like so Kansas and then Nebraska. Michigan and Indiana were one and two. Yeah. Wow. You got a lot of lot of sway up there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's more people over here, so that helps. As far yeah. as Michigan and there's more hunters in Michigan by like almost four times as there are in Indiana. Right. So and there's more than double what there is in Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So kudos to all the Michigan Michigan guys. I th- I thought that was pretty cool, to be honest. Michigan, I feel like Michigan's like my uh I, I, as far as duck hunting goes, it's like my home away from home. because right. um, I just it's an awesome state for duck hunting, not so much for uh their their politics, but they can't help that. <laughs> Good people, bad politicians, that. right? <laughs> Stay away from the big cities. I'm sure rural people are cool. Big city people are cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's the weird thing because I grew up in Indiana. Um, and, you know, not. I just assumed that uh, it was, you know, um, <laughs> that there was a certain type of people up there. But turns out there's just a bunch of good old boys um, that, are, that are duck hunters just like me. So Yeah. Were there many yeah. votes from, like, you know, Alabama – Arkansas, Louisiana. No, you've scared all those people away. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll pull it up real quick if you want to. Yeah, I'm scrolling through it. How do you find it really it. quick? I don't know. Is there like a section that you can just go to? And um, and while Jordan's pulling it up, guys, if you have not come over to Facebook, Fellowship of the Duck Guns Facebook group, come on over. Make sure you answer the questions because we don't want people – just selling stuff. We want to try to, you know, weed people out. So make sure you answer the questions. Oh, I found it. Here it is. <laughs> Arkansas, 2%. Louisiana, 2%. Alabama, 1%. Yep. How, how do you... Oh, I was going to say zero. Let's say they're rounding it down because some states got 0%. I'm like, how do you get 0%? Yeah, I guess like one vote is... Isn't this just the worst way to organize it, though? Are you sure there's no setting where you can like adjust it somehow? There, uh, No, it used to just ought to be automatic, but now right. they... they uh, yeah, that is so stupid. Yep. Really dumb. Go no, I was messing with the settings and... Uh, if you notice, Kansas is at two percent now because I accidentally deleted it. But <laughs> oh, come on, man! What what was Kansas before you deleted it? It was uh, it was like eight percent. So can I call that ten percent? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, come on, you did that on purpose. <laughs> I didn't. I was trying to figure out how to um, how to us uh, to re. Regroup these in a, in a in a way that's way better to to view than what it is. So, but yeah, just interesting tidbit there. But um, yeah, so as we said, the episode for today we're gonna have uh, Sean, the host of the Meat Eater Show, Duck Lore, on. So we're we're excited about that. But before that, let's get a quick word from the partners, and we'll jump right into it. So first off, like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Guys, Onyx is awesome for the duck hunter. Uh, something that Elliot and I both have been using pretty heavily uh, over the last few years. For me, you know, getting that permission in the private land 
Uh, you can get the landowner's information. You can get their, their tax information right there. Go to their house, knock on the door, and get that yes or no right away. Just It, it just expedites the process and gets you on more property. So uh, it's been a game changer for me. For the public land hunter, you know the boundaries. You know you're legal. Um, you can see all that right on there. And it's, it's just an awesome tool, uh, all things maps, for the duck hunter. So check them out, guys, on X. Guys, if you're not wearing hearing protection, you need to start doing it right now because you will end up like me with hearing loss. And I have problems hearing people all the time because I never wore protection. And Tetra is the absolute best. Once you put it in your ears, you just forget about it. You don't even think about it being there. And that's what you want. It protects you from those high, loud volume noises and you need it. I'm telling you guys. Um, it's not something that you want to deal with and, and it can also increase your chance of dementia, which sometimes I think I already have. So go ahead and get that Tetra hearing. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks to one of our newest partners, uh, Final Approach uh, and Rogers. So they're, uh, they're making waterfowl products and they have been for a long time for the, the duck hunter uh, it's, it's your one-stop shop over there at Rogers and, and Final Approach. Um, you know, one thing that I'm going to highlight is the Sub 3 A-frame blind. I'm super excited to use that this year. Not only that with the A-frame function, but it breaks down into a single panel. So you can take it if you're going on the river and you're hunting against the timber right on the edge. You can just take one. You can really minimize what you need to take out there and then bam, you can put it back together and run it as a complete A-frame. Um, and it's just a, a really cool, high-class A-frame and I'm excited about it. But they have everything. They got brand new decoy models um, from all the puddlers. They got some goose stuff coming in hot and it is uh, looking good. So check them out guys over there at Rogers. As we are only a couple months away from the Patreon hunt giveaway. In August, we are going to put all of the entry names on a wheel and spin it. And the winner is going to come and hunt with Jordan and I. The plan is hang out in the duck bus. And I know that you want to do that. So the only way that you can get involved in the entry is go to patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. Become a patron there. And every month you will earn a certain number of entries into the wheel. And also, we've just started doing this. You can watch the podcast live on the system that we use every single week. We put that link out there to our patrons only exclusive live podcast. You can come watch what we're doing, see video of Jordan and I talking to our guest and 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 you can get a free membership to Freelance Hunt Stats, which we have. Man, we are going crazy with Hunt Stats right now with what we're building. We are. It is going to be a totally different experience very, very soon. So go ahead and do that. Patreon.com slash Freelance Duck Hunting. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks. As Motion Ducks is an awesome product for those no-win days. It gets motion in your set. When you have that glass-like water, you know how... Um, birds can become a lot more sketchy to your set. So running that in there, it is lifelike motion. Guys, if you haven't seen a video of it, check it out. Elliot and I both both have videos on our channels. If not, um, you can check it out over on Motion Ducks and see that in action. And let me tell you, it does the job. It brings those birds in, those wary birds on those no-win days, puts ripples through the whole set. Um, it, it deploys in minutes, and it's easy to take down and tear down or set up and tear down. Um, so check them out, guys, 
and use code DUCKGUN2020 for 10% off. Alrighty. Well, let's go ahead and bring Sean in here and jump right into the podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of Duck Gun or of <laughs> Duck Gun Podcast. I am Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. And our guest tonight is Sean Weaver. He is the host of the Meat Eater Duck Lore. How are you doing tonight, Sean? Hey, how's it going, fellas? I'm doing all right. I'm, oh, it's going I've great. A, I've got a cold one sitting here, and... Uh, talking duck hunting so it could be a lot worse <laughs> uh that's that's the that's the truth this time of year uh in the heat of the summer and it's just uh you know anything we can do to to um get past the time until it's fall so oh man super no. super excited to have you on man it's uh you know it's uh uh something i've been looking forward to we saw your uh episodes with meat eater um on the duck lore and and we're real excited to have you on yeah, excited to talk, man. It, uh, you know, it hasn't been too hot of a summer up here. It's actually been beautiful, and we went from like stupid record drought to soaking wet. And there's a lot of happy ducks up here right now. So <clears throat> that's awesome. In time for uh, all the breeding and everything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's great. Yeah, I know last year was pretty rough seeing videos of people showing. Uh, potholes that had been wet their their whole life and and uh dried all the way completely so that's that's great to hear that uh things up there in the the pothole region are are faring a lot better yeah it, it's it's beautiful right now honestly it's kind of a duck hunter's dream it's got that almost uh it's got that nostalgia of what a duck you know duck country should look like right now Sean, where do you where do you live? Where do you call home? South Dakota, yeah, eastern South okay. Dakota. Okay. You know, if I was going to name a state to live in to be a, a duck hunter, <laughs> I don't know if I could name a better one. Is that a a fair estimation? <laughs> oh yeah, man. There's a there's a reason I moved here and uh, you know stuck around for a long time. It's there's places that are easy. Well, I shouldn't say that. You get out of it what you put into it here. You put on a lot of miles and scout a lot to to get on the ducks, but you're usually rewarded if you put in the effort, you know? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So uh, you're not born and raised as a South Dakotan. Is that the right, <laughs> the right term for yeah. people from South Dakota? No, I actually... Uh, born in missouri raised in iowa and grew up you know spent my whole childhood in iowa hunting and that's a rough place to be a duck hunter man it's not an easy place (laughs) that's for sure you don't hear many people talk about iowa for sure yeah there's a reason it's not the mecca (laughs) no so what, what part of missouri were you born in uh not too far from kansas city yeah okay yep yeah, my my folks were down there for a job, and then, uh, but they were from Iowa and moved back to Iowa, and I grew up smack dab right in the middle of Iowa, which you know there's like some decent hunting along the Mississippi, and there's some decent hunting along the Missouri, but there isn't anything going on for ducks in central Iowa. <laughs> so, now why is that? Just lack of water, man. Uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, 
But the the estimate is, I know it's well over 90% of Iowa's wetlands have been drained and tiled and, and, and you know, ultimately destroyed. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Iowa, before our time, would have been great duck habitat. But all you have to do really now is go look at Osborne Labs, Delta, DU. Go look at some of their GPS trackers they're doing. And see how many ducks fly from the eastern Dakotas right over the state of Iowa straight to straight to Missouri and Arkansas and never even stop. And it's because there's just no habitat, you know. There's there's just not the there's not the places for them to really hang out and stage anymore. So Yep. It's rough. Yep. It's rough. I hear you on that one, being uh, from Indiana as well. So. Same deal. Same I always deal. figured the thing with, yeah, I figured the thing with Iowa was it's, uh, it's such a deer hunting state that it just over overshadowed anything else that they might have going on there. But, you know, there's, but yeah, sim- there's like the good canvas back hunting on the Mississippi. You get that. It's kind of notorious in that pool nine of Mississippi for good canvas back hunting and the Missouri river gets a lot of geese late season. But outside of that, it's pretty slim pickings. Is it worse than Iowa or than Indiana? I wouldn't say that. No, (laughs) I still think we've got the upper hand there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that, uh, you know, I think, Anywhere in the central flyway is probably an upgrade from the, the Mississippi. We we did have a little bit of a debate here recently about that, but um <laughs> Did you? Give me give me a piece of that. Oh Jordan oh, made some well, Jordan made someone angry <laughs> on our Patreon um, on our uh, Facebook group because Jordan talks about the central flyway like it's, you know, the holy holy land, which I try not to give my opinion on it too much living in Kansas. But it's a it's a good place. But he, Jordan is, you know, he's technically in the Mississippi Flyway in Indiana, so his natural thoughts on the Mississippi Flyway seem to be a bit negative. So he, <laughs> someone I got mean, sideways I, I with parts, him. I have parts of the Mississippi Flyway that I uh, that I enjoy, um, you know, for sure. But my thought is that, uh, <laughs> well, part of it too that you didn't add in there. We got a buddy who lives in. Nebraska actually hunts the sand hills quite a bit, and so we're always poking fun at him because he's just a good punching bag. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little bit more to the story there. But yeah, uh, I, yeah. Well, Central Flyer was awesome. Here, here's what I'll say because I'm not trying to blow up your spots here, Elliot. But <laughs> you know, anytime you're downstream of the the area, the region that provides 50% of the continent's duck population, that's probably a good place to be compared to Indiana is downstream of what, you know, zebra mussels, really. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, and I think also one thing is, is that goes into the equation is the, uh, when you get in the hotbed of the Mississippi flyway, you get in the hotbed of hunter activity as well. Yes, and that's the, very this, true. the density of, of the population is so great. I was talking to my friend from Arkansas. He's like, they've got a hundred thousand, you know, registered hunters there every year in Arkansas. And I mean, we've got like 
16,000 here and maybe another 12,000 out of staters. And so it makes a big difference to hunter experience. Like what's your value? Is, is it just number of ducks or is it ducks minus loads and loads of other people all around you? you know? I mean, we've got our overcrowding issues here, but you work hard and enough and you can finish. find Right. And you can, you can find places if you work hard enough where you're not elbow to elbow here. But some places, you know, Louisiana, and I've never been down there. My understanding is it's just elbow to elbow guys. You know, one of the easy metrics to look at is not necessarily what you see online and pile pictures and all that stuff, but go look at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service data on ducks per hunter average per season in a lot Mm -hmm. of these places and the average days hunted. And you can pretty quickly deduce how good or bad somewhere is. And then all of a sudden you see, holy cow, California, Texas, um, you know, some of these states that maybe don't get quite as much recognition as, you know, Arkansas or Kansas. Well, they're shooting a ton of ducks in those two states. They're, they're number two and three harvest states behind Arkansas. So there's a few years where mm-hmm. California actually tops Arkansas. Right. Isn't, yeah. isn't Washington up there too as well? Um, it's up there for the average ducks per hunter, but it's not for total just cause there's not the okay. number of hunters. Right. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. I think, you know, I one state, I think that be like Louisiana and Missouri are, are definitely way up there. Well, if you look at those, those numbers and compare Oklahoma and Kansas, Oklahoma beats Kansas in a lot of your. Um, harvest mm-hmm. numbers even per hunter but uh, oklahoma is not considered as sexy as kansas and i don't know what the, uh, my theory is in around 2007 ducks unlimited and that they did like six or seven episodes from kansas during like their 15 shows i mean they were just in kansas over and over and over and that kind of started the ball rolling um with the whole kansas thing but i don't understand why oklahoma gets overlooked so much you're just you're just deflecting at this point. Ellie. No, that's a serious question. That's that's a serious. It's, it's you look at those numbers in Oklahoma is ahead of Kansas. And last time I looked in the harvest data, I think that's yeah. changing though, man. I mean, there's been I think Oklahoma's got blown up a lot the last few years specifically, and you've seen the you've seen the outfitter inflow into that state as well, mm-hmm. right? There's so many more outfitters yeah. there now than there was four or five years ago i think oklahoma's days of like hiding in the shadow of kansas and arkansas are a little bit a thing of the past okay yeah it's headed that way you heard it here move to oklahoma everybody go hunt oklahoma (laughs) you heard it here (laughs) all right sean let's hear a little bit about uh, your background as far as hunting i know before we got on the air you're telling us you've been in the industry for a while so let's hear some of your your background yeah, so I uh, went to college in South Dakota, and while I was in college, was working as a hunting guide, um, guiding waterfowl hunts, duck hunts in the fall, snows in the spring. Um, while I was doing that, I I'd always liked photography, had a passion for photography, but ultimately. While I was working as a guide, and this is kind of before every outfit had, you know, a YouTube channel and Facebook videos and whatnot. Um, you know, I'd bought a camera, started making videos of our hunts, taking nice photos of our hunts, and 
ultimately kind of saw a way to segue out of outfitting and out of guiding and make a living uh, doing production work. And so I started a production company while I was in college. By the time I'd graduated college, it was my full-time job. And uh, really, you know, was definitely heavily focused on the outdoors. Ended up with some, you know, really great clients over the years. I produced the Grand Waterfowl TV. I did a lot of work for Cabela's, Bass Pro, Dakota, Lucky Duck, um, a whole, you know, a whole host of different companies, really. And, uh, you know, I guess kind of lived in the shadows of the industry, I guess, doing the behind the scenes work before I ultimately ended up here. So awesome. So do you, uh, do you jump on the camera at all anymore? Is it, is it, uh, how's that? Yeah, I still do. You know, I still love running a camera. That's still a love of mine for sure. I don't spend, you know, in in 2019, I did 220 days traveling, filming, and photographing that year. So, wow. oh man, um, it's not like that anymore, for sure. But <laughs> still, love to do it. So, how did you, how, how did you how did the duck lore um, gig start? Is that something you had to apply for? Did you know guys there? How did that come to be? Yeah, so. I was actually, I was photographing a collaborative um, event, I'll call it. That was like a wild food, wild game food event in Oregon that was uh, Benchmade Knives, Cabela's, and Steve Rinella, you know, founder of Meat Eater. And uh, this was years ago. That was how I met Steve. And we became buddies after that. We hit it off and clicked and spent quite a while talking duck hunting after that. And, uh, you know, over over a couple of years, just became friends and got to know each other a little better. Invited him to come do some duck hunting in South Dakota. And that's when he came and filmed a Netflix episode with me in South Dakota. And, uh, yeah, after that. You know, he, he pretty much said, we want to do some waterfowl content. You want to be our guy. So. And then, and then uh, duck lore was born. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, duck lore was kind of a thing I'd wanted to do for a while. And meat eater and Steve gave me the platform to do so. And that I wanted to take content and take, um, well, not content take TV back to something that's relatable for the everyday Joe and the everyday duck hunter. And I don't even mean not avid. I just mean the guy that maybe doesn't have the money to go to an outfitter and maybe doesn't have, um, you know, the ability to do big leases or manage his own property. And it's not that I don't want to go hunt places like that. It's just that there's a lot of great freelance opportunity out there um, that I don't think maybe our current TV show environment necessarily embraces, right? A lot of waterfowl TV shows had gotten to the point of being mostly outfitted hunts. And yes. 
and I just saw kind of the the general waterfowl audience being neglected in how they hunt. Yeah. That that's Definitely. the thing that sticks out to me. I mean, Jordan and I both have our YouTube channels and and uh they're fairly successful for for YouTube channels, but it's it's a very vloggish kind of feel to it and then you have the shows like you know the high produce shows where it's mostly guided outfitters and everything and you've kind of in a way married the two with what you're doing where it's like mo- a lot of public stuff a lot of average guy stuff but done at a high professional level that i i won't watch and if, if, if someone's going in to state to state and hitting guide service i don't even watch it but that's the thing i love about duck lore um is that it's like it's just the perfect marriage between really produced well and the regular guy hunting. It's like it it's excellent job on it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. That that means a lot. It really does cuz that was the impetus. That was what we wanted to be able to accomplish with the show. And you know, I'll say to this is maybe getting a little deep into how the sausage is made as Steve would say it, but um Part part of consuming a TV show, part of watching anything from a Tom Cruise movie to, you know, a, a how-to video, I don't know, is like you want a little bit of the element of the adventure and the hero complex and actually leaving something up to, is he going to, is he going to get it done or is he not? And if every single episode is just smashing ducks and having great success then you already know the end of the movie before you've even watched the movie sometimes Mm. you gotta allow for a little bit of failure in there to actually make it interesting to actually not know how the movie ends so to speak and that's what waterfowling is for real so if you just fit (laughs) if you just film real waterfowling that's what you get yep Yep. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that. It's uh, super relatable as as hunters and um, you know, definitely you guys did a great job doing thanks. Telling telling your story and uh getting out there going to so many different cool places and and uh um filming filming your duck hunts that way. So um super super cool. So, what was your uh what was your favorite uh hunt from that series so far? So, so far we've released uh, season one and we have another six episodes coming out this July but um, of the ones that have been released so far I would say man Texas Teal was really cool for me because we showed up to a place I'd never seen with my own eyes that I had purely scouted off of Onyx and, and one helpful input from a friend that at least well, you know, gave me the time of day like, yeah, there is teal there. <laughs> uh, you know, teal do use that place. Um, but other than that, I had no clue what I was getting into on that hunt. Not, knew nothing about the area. And to show up there opening weekend when there's a bunch of dudes um, and actually shoot something felt pretty dang good. Yeah. That was definitely well, was one of it my a- favorite. Did, you guys even shot a limit, right, mm-hmm. you know, on that first yep. day? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. 
Elliot, did you? Uh, did Elliot actually? <laughs> I'll give you a little inside scoop. So Elliot actually uh, binge watched the whole series today. So well, I had watched. I had hand picked. I had watched the Central Flyway mm-hmm. ones because that's where you I'm had. So okay. I, yeah, I had watched Kansas. I had watched um, Sandhills in Nebraska, and I had watched the Texas one. So I had watched three of the six. Do, so. you, do you have a favorite one, Elliot? You watched that series? Um, I did like the teal one. Um, I felt on the teal one, it kind of reflected what you were saying because I, I felt like there was a moment that hunt where you guys kind of weren't sure how it was going to go and it just kind of kept producing and producing and ended up being a good hunt. I thought the emotions of that played out well in that one. And I, I love, I'm fascinated with the sand hills. I've spent lots of time in the sand hills hunting grouse, pike fishing, but I've never waterfowl hunted it. So, um, I, I did love that one because you guys did a lot of scouting. You showed off the sand hills, you talked about it. And so that was, and you guys had such a great hunt. And mm-hmm. one thing in there that I, that I found was interesting is that you said that you really do not like to move your decoy sets once you're set, but throughout the series, you did it like three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very valid point. Maybe that's me expressing a little bit of my laziness, huh? Um, <laughs> now I, so the Sandhills one, I kind of had the same experience going in of, I've spent a lot of time in the Sandhills, but not waterfowl hunting. I actually produced and filmed one of, uh, I produced and filmed a predator series for lucky duck called the last stand. And we spent a lot of time in the Sandhills filming that. And you know, always seeing waterfowl around there, always seeing all these lakes around there. And I'm like, good God, mm-hmm. like, I got to come back here and at least try it, you know. And and that was, I mean, that was my first time ever waterfowl hunting there. And I just really had to give it a try. I really needed to experience what I hoped would be good hunting because I thought, you know, looking at it, you're like, good God, there's got to be ducks that use this place. Um, right. And as far as the moving of decoy spreads and whatnot, I do think, I do think there's like always a real fine, there's like a real fine line to walk of letting a hunt play out and waiting for the right conditions versus like knowing you're in the wrong spot. You know, there's so many days Mm -hmm. in my experience anyway, where that first hour of the day when the sun's not up, the wind's not going where I'm like, Oh, this hunts shit. It's not going to pan. But then once that sun and wind comes up, you're in the money. And so many times I've, I've tried to make that move too quick and too early. And so it's like always kind of a internal battle for me anyway of, okay, is this, is this cause it's actually not going to happen or is this because I'm a pessimist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like bringing in the backup quarterback Sometimes and then the backup <laughs> quarterback comes in and he sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jordan, and I've well, talked extensively that, uh, about, know. about moving decoy sets and I know he's, we're both big proponents of it, but it is, it's like, it's hit or miss on it. Yeah. Yeah. We all, we always go back to, um, usually try to fix the hide before, before move the decoys, but you never know what it's going to be until you you make some changes. Mm, here that's there. a good point. Yeah, so. yeah, Hyde definitely is part of that. And also, you know, there's always for me a little bit of conditions. Um, 
if mm. it's dead calm and cloudy and I was trying to run traffic to begin with, like, I probably don't think, you know, a bunch of decoy moving, is gonna, you know, moving spots is going to probably help me a whole lot. But if it's sunny yeah. and windy and they're dialed on a spot, you know, 100 yards away, by all means, I'm going to move. And that was what we ran into in Nebraska was, you know, we were we were right there. We were so dang close to the X, but we were off it by, you know, about 100 yards. Yeah, I think it was day two on that hunt when uh, it must have been. I'm trying to remember. It's been a little bit further since I've I've seen it, but I believe it was day two, early on in the morning, and just the number of ducks you guys had working you at that. You know, it was just that was insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were we were definitely on the ducks. There was no no question about if we were on them. Yep. Well, uh, kind of to hit back on the the relatable thing, you know, when, when we think about the series, um, being uh, from Indiana and, and you know, Michigan's kind of my home away from home. Uh, I do a lot of hunting up there. I was excited to see you guys up go up there, uh, and I've done the layout thing too. That's pretty cool. But I do think that potentially, I mean, I know that the the marshes and and everything in Michigan probably don't compare to some of the the marshes out in the Central Flyway. But I do think you're you're missing out. I was hoping one of those days you guys would uh, jump over to one of those uh, Michigan marshes. That is something I still want to do out there, man. Um, that's like a return trip for me, for sure. You know, Steve, Steve, had, so Steve actually went to community college in the UP and yep. um, had always wanted to do the layout boat hunting deal. And so that was why we were there oh, okay. to really do it was you know, it was something I was interested in doing too. And, and I had the hookup with Dylan, um, you know, someone that kind of knew the lay of the land and how to do it. But mm-hmm. I've gone on a decent amount and of all fishing the equipment. trip. Yeah. The, the equipment for sure. I've had a decent amount of fishing trips up there to where I am very intrigued by the puddle duck hunting. I just need to, you know, go do it. Awesome. Awesome. So another another thing I wanted uh, to hit on there is uh, Ellie and I we both we were both kind of thinking it, but um, do you have a do you have a duck dog? I do now. Um, you know that was <laughs> that's one of the most ba- like uh, I would say that's top five things of feedback we got on the show is why the hell <laughs> why the hell ain't you running a dog? You know. <laughs> and I totally get it because yeah. it drove me nuts. Actually, you'll see um, in the upcoming episodes, <laughs> there's actually a time. I don't know if it made the final cut or not. Uh, we're in Missouri, and I have to go chase two ducks with the boat. And Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, and I do make a comment like, you know, damn it, I wish my dog was ready to hunt. Um, but... Honestly, the reason I haven't had a dog was purely logistical at this point was I spent so much time traveling for work, filming other people for so many years. I would have felt guilty having a dog that I couldn't bring with on those, that I couldn't work. You know, you spend 220 days a year in a, you know, either filming someone else anywhere from 12 to 18 hours a day in the truck or on a plane, you'd feel real guilty leaving your hunting dog sitting around doing nothing that whole time. 
Mm-hmm. And and I honestly yep. don't think I would have just I don't think I would have had a good dog. I wouldn't have been able to train that dog how I wanted. And um you know, truth is, it's not like camera guys get rich either. I wasn't about to go spend a bunch of money to send my dog to a trainer. I just wasn't in that situation, you know. So, so I ended up a lot of years hunting over other people's dogs, not having a dog. I actually had blue healers for working cows, but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, uh, no duck dog. But now I do. Now I've got my dog. Well, that, case. that is a so awesome. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about your dog. How old is it? Uh, are you, are you training yourself? Are you sending it to someone? Yeah. So case is female black lab out of Southern Oak and, uh, Barton and I have known each other for a lot of years since I was guiding finally, you know, was able to like get in a situation where I felt good to get a dog from, from Barton and felt like I would do it justice. I'm training her all myself. Uh, she's 10 months old. So awesome. Yeah. So she'll be ready. You think, uh, start of the season, kind of your goal for, for getting her out there? Yeah. Yeah. She'll definitely be ready. I was almost like borderline ready to get her out during snows, but just wasn't quite there. Um, but she'll definitely be ready by September. So where are you guys at right now in your training progression? Right now, um, honestly, we're getting into real life situations, you know, uh, placing on the bow of the boat, mm-hmm. you know, place board is now, a actual field blind or a dog stand, things like that. She's killer on blinds, killer on hand signals. She's doing great on that stuff. Awesome. Um, the one thing that's just been real slow with her and we're getting there, it's coming along is hold, you know, she's definitely mm. not a. She is not a natural dog that likes to just hold something in her mouth and hold it properly. She's She needs a lot of work on that, and she's light years ahead of where she was two months ago, but she's still you know far from, like, dialed. So you probably didn't uh, – um, there may be a presumption, but you probably didn't go through force fetch if you were going oh, through – Cut out Because um, I don't think that – Barton doesn't typically do force fetch, I don't think, does he? I was just asking a technical question. Uh, Barton, I I imagine you're using his training style. Yeah, I would say 95%, right? I'm I'm using Cornerstone for the vast majority of things, but I am using a collar on her. uh, Okay. You know, and... So then did you go through force fetch with her then? No, I haven't. And ultimately I will if I have to. I've been... Right. I've been not so far, and it's not that I'm against it by any means. I'm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ultimately I'm a new dog trainer, right? I've had, right. I had, you know, three hunting dogs when I was young that were upland dogs and one duck dog that I didn't get to spend enough time with and wasn't anywhere where, you know, wasn't anywhere on the level that Case is. Um, so I'm so fresh and so new to this that, I'm just trying to take the steps that I can through Cornerstone and through, you know, an awesome network of friends and duck hunting Mm -hmm. folk, you know, making adjustments where needed. One of my, uh, one of the camera guys that works on the show and he's 
worked with me for a long time now is a guy named Max Barta. And Max has a killer dog. I mean, one of the most awesome dogs to watch. And so I've, you know, leaned on him for a few questions. And, of course, Barton and a few other folk, too. So, Yeah. That's cool. That'll be interesting to see how you guys introduce your dog as you guys move forward in the Ducklore series. Yeah. So so you you kind of gave us a little bit of tease on those uh, six new episodes. And i um, excited about that because I, I figured uh, you released those six, and I thought that was probably all we're going to get from uh, from last season. But So you're holding out unless you got six more. Um, is there any more details as far as maybe like locations you guys win or anything like that you can uh share before they come oh, out yeah absolutely i would love to talk about a few of those because they were you know uh the first six episodes they were fun they were great they were relatable but honestly man we we hit the pavement starting in september and we didn't stop hunting till you know march um spring snows and we went real hard and January, December, I think we were on the road for 54 days straight or something like that. So it, <laughs> it, it was, it always wow. oh, so much fun. Um, but we hit a lot of places. The, the first episode you'll see in season two is the great salt Lake, which is, you know, there's so much that's cool about salt Lake beyond just that. There's a lot of ducks there. Like, biologically, it's cool. Its importance to the Pacific Flyway is cool. The whole reason those ducks freaking sit there is cool. I mean, nowhere else are you seeing millions of ducks rafted up eating freaking brine shrimp, right? <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so that's that's one of the episodes. Um, and then we, you know, that's kind of our turning point, man, was, uh, like, season two, we kind of finally get some weather. And the hunting turns on. Uh, we get we get on a pretty hot stretch, honestly. And Salt Lake, Missouri, um, Wyoming, New Mexico, like we get on a hot peel for a while there. Missouri and Wyoming were something to be reckoned with, frankly. I mean, they were as good as it comes. So, so no Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I didn't want to blow up how good Indiana is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's awesome. When, when you guys so were let's in... Hear, let's hear about the, the Missouri hunt. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about that. Yeah, we were, uh, we were just on them, man. That was public land hunt. It's a place I've hunted for a lot of years. Or, you know, first time I hunted it was a long time ago. Um, I won't give much in the way of details of where it is, but it's a reservoir. That's about all I'll say. And, you know, it's flooded corn. No, no. It was just running traffic on big <laughs> water, man. Um, well, one of the days is running traffic. One of the days is, is kind of, we're really on the X and dialed in a small little cove of the main lake. And, uh, God, it was just. You know, sun, wind, cold, mallards, backpedaling, you know, the stuff Missouri dreams are made of, really. Right. Mm. 
Missouri's a good state. I'm right. I am right on the border. I'm like five miles from the border, but I just don't. I just don't get into Missouri much. It's just I feel like that the population density over there, and I'm I'm not within close driving range of the places that I would like to hunt. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm, I'm, it's always tempting me because I know that it can be fantastic. It's oh. a great state. God, it's great. It's, it sounds like Sean's hunted uh, Kansas and Missouri quite a bit. So you, you got a you got a preference between the two? Mm. As far as just total opportunity to like, I guess forge your own way and make your own path, probably Kansas. Um, but as far as consistently just great duck hunting and like good. You know, Missouri's like cheating with the conservation areas too, if you can get in them, right? I mean, if you can get mm-hmm. in those conservation areas and make that draw, there, there's no state out there doing what doing what Missouri does for duck hunters. I mean, they have a portion of their sales tax committed to their Department of Conservation. You know, that's that's mm. pretty special, but. But you know, to Elliot's point, there's just there's more hunters there. But the average ducks per season per hunter are fantastic in Missouri, and you know it's given the you know it depends on the year, but it's usually sitting around number two for most mallards harvested, right behind Arkansas. So it's you know there's a reason, and it's not that, that it's not hard. It's, it's not that hard. My understanding is I've never done it, but especially weekdays, it's not that hard to pull a pill and and get what some of those blinds of the, the, those places so you show up in the morning and you have a number is my understanding but um yeah it's not that hard to get into those from the guys i talk to yeah and it you know it comes back to kind of the amount of work you want to do versus the consistency you want right if you want to be able to show up yeah. to the same couple thousand acre area and know that you're going to have good duck hunting there but that you might not hunt every day if you want to show up to the same relatively smaller area, a couple thousand acres or whatever it is, and know there's going to be mallards hanging out in that area, it's hard to beat Missouri um, for that consistency of a duck presence. But you might not get to hunt every day. So it's it's maybe a better quality overall on average versus Kansas. You only get what you put into it. You're not just going to show up to a 2000 acre area in Kansas and shoot ducks. Every time you're going to have to really put in the work on the scout and the, you know, the finding of the birds. That's the point I always make with Jordan. And every time he tells me, he says that I'm just trying to downplay Kansas (laughs) is that you guys think you can just, just about to say guys think you can roll into Kansas, not know the area and just, Pull up and kill mallards every day. It just does zero not chance, way. zero chance. Right, like, unless you get lucky and hit the weather just right, and you're on like the first two or three days of a cold front. Outside right. of that, you're going to struggle. You've got to scout it hard. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I would say I was, Missouri. I was going to say Missouri is one of those places where it's not as much about the scout. Right, you go to one of these Missouri right. conservation areas, and we weren't on one of the conservation areas for the record. We we're on a public reservoir that requires a ton of scouting, but mm-hmm. um, you know you go to one of those CAs and yeah, you know there's going to be ducks there. It's not as much about the scout, but that's 
like Missouri and Kansas are just not the same. It's just not even comparable. Right. They're both great hunting for entirely right. different reasons. Right. Well, and they say, okay, you go hunt here. Right. I mean, the way that I like it is like, you know, when, when you're winging it and you have success, you feel more successful because you're the one that found them. You're the one that beat all the other guys to it versus, you know, oh, I got blind number 12. You're going to have a great hunt. And I don't, you know, there's a time and a place for that. But personally speaking, I like the challenge of find it. You know, I think that's a. Yeah, I was going to go say. Ahead, Jordan. <laughs> Sorry, I've been talking too much. I got I got to get this in there, but I, as soon as you were saying all that, Sean, I knew Elliot was his chest was just puffing out. He was so he was so happy with because <laughs> it's true <laughs> what you're saying. Because he gets he does get a lot of people who who kind of push back, you know, saying Kansas is easy, um, you know, but that's because they live other places that that aren't Kansas. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess Kansas is easy if you live in West Virginia. Then yeah, Kansas is easy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or yeah, or yeah. South Carolina. South Carolina guys love Kansas for some reason. Well, they love everywhere. That's, other from than my South estimation, Carolina, I, think I think South Carolina is they. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> South Carolina people seem like they're just so willing to travel. Absolutely, I mean, they're everywhere. They're yeah, that's the well. That's the same thing as up. You know, in our neck of the woods, it's. Minnesota, right, is the Dakotas get a ton oh, yeah. of Minnesota hunters because it's right across the border and it's way better hunting. You know, it just is. Yep. Yep. Um, For sure. Go ahead. All right. Uh, Elliot, you think this is a good place to jump to the lightning round? Yeah, I do. I do want to circle back around to the Sand Hills before we get done and get. Mm-hmm. I want to pick. Um, Sean's brain a little bit more about it um, just for fun before we end. But yeah, let's. Sure, sure. Honestly, we should probably. Let's do that right now and then we'll do the lightning round after that. So, okay. Um, but one th- one thing we got to add about the sand hills is, you know, um, we got a buddy who hunts out there. So, Matt, there's so many things I could say, Elliot. <laughs> Jordan is cruel to our friend Matt. <clears throat> Just treats him like dirt. But yeah, I'll I'll let you take it away, Elliot. Yeah, well, I really wanted to get one thing I love about the episodes is, um, and it's kind of goes true with all the meat eater stuff. There's kind of a contemplative, philosophical element to a lot of what meat eater does, where thinking deep thoughts about the areas you're at and everything. And I I just would love to hear just you know don't put you on the spot, but just your overall impression of the Sand Hills and I. I I don't hear people talking about the Sand Hills. To me, I've, I've lived in Kansas for 50 years, and until my dad took me up there, I had never even heard about it. And you go up there, and it is literally a different planet. You would never guess you're in Nebraska. It is one of the most spectacularly beautiful places. I'd take it over. I would, For me, because of the lack of people, I would take it over the Rocky Mountains. I mean, there is a special draw and beauty to it that is just hard to get into words, and I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. It was honestly an episode that was hard for me to make because I knew I was bringing a public awareness to a place that is so damn beautiful and so special and so isolated. Um, You know, a friend of mine that lives there, his house is 18 miles down the like down his driveway, right? From the (laughs) pavement to his home is 18 miles. How many places can you really pull that off? 
in America. Right. Not many. Not right. many without being at, you know, 8,000 foot elevation. It's, yeah, it's very special. And one of the things that's most special about it to me is biologically what it means to ducks. And there is a larger conversation to be had about that. There's a lot of ducks that nest in the sand hills that maybe have been neglected right. ultimately because it's not recognized as essential duck habitat, even though it very much so is. Um, and you have a you know giant predator problem there. You have ultimately what you have is hundreds of square miles of true grasslands that the only reason they're preserved is because if you got rid of the grass, the sand dunes would flop and fail and you would never be able to till it and plant anything. And mm-hmm. you know, there's just so few native habitats and grasslands that are still even somewhat um resemblant of what they would have looked like 150 years ago, 200 years ago. Like that's one of the beautiful things about the sand hills to me. If you go to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, you can still see the ruts in the dirt of the Oregon trail. Mm-hmm. Like that's insane. There's so few places like that. And that's what makes Western Nebraska and, and the sand hills and all that country just so special is, it's intact, right? It's right. It br- it brings you back to a freaking eighteen hundreds western. Mm-hmm. Yep. So cool. Yeah. Well said. And Some the of those, and there. they have huge expanses of. Oh, they're wonderful, and they have such huge expanses of public land up there. Now, this is when we were grouse hunting it in the '90s, so I'm not sure if they've changed this. But you used to be able to just drive through it, and they would have some fences, and you would have a map. This was before cell phones. You'd have a map, and the you know all the windmills up there would be numbered, and the only way that you could figure out where you were were based on the windmill numbers. And I mean, you could literally go and get lost in this, and you'd get out, and we'd get out, and we would just walk the hills and and flush prey chicken and sharp tails and the way the the hills work you could actually feel lost in there and how many places that are that big that aren't like you know rocky mountains or deep forest that you can feel open ground you can feel mm-hmm. lost it's yeah. it's just spectacular there's there's not a ton of public land there anymore um it's it's certainly a lot of knocking on doors i mean there is some big tracks of public out there but you know that that episode for us was entirely private and knocking on doors but you know it was it was good there was a lot of public land we checked out that there's guys duck hunting and stuff there's some people up there hunting but it wasn't um you know it wasn't like the i guess it wasn't the amount of public land maybe you would have maybe i'm just biased and spoiled with south dakota public land (laughs) (laughs) awesome well, that's definitely definitely super cool. Um, let's go ahead and jump to the lightning round. So the lightning round is quick questions with quick answers and helps us get to know you a little bit better as a duck hunter. Sounds good. All right. So so what uh, what gun do you shoot? Uh, Weatherby Tungsten Element. Yeah, it's... Nice. it's uh, I don't think I've ever shot it's one. It's an inertia shotgun. It very much resembles... Uh, a Benelli in its makeup. Cool. And then uh, what shot size are you shooting for ducks? Almost entirely two shot or three shot, usually two shot. 
Steel? Black, black Cloud. Yeah, I love the Black Cloud. I've shot that since 2014. I like that it keeps a nice tight, tight pattern. And then uh, uh, as far as your choke tube, uh, what restriction is your, your go-to? The tightest I can shoot 1550 feet per second out of. I like tight. So, um, you know, a 700 restriction or constriction would be good. Nice. And then on, on geese, what, what shot size are you going for? Uh, so we have, uh, we have meat eaters bismuth that kind of throws that off when I'm hunting geese, I shoot the bismuth load. So I'm still shooting three shot with that. If I was shooting steel, I'd shoot one. Okay. But when I'm shooting that meat eater bismuth, I'm shooting threes and it's, it's pretty wicked. Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I can, I can believe you on that. I, I shoot uh bismuth threes as well for, for geese. God, man, that bismuth really makes you recognize why those boys were so reluctant to give up lead. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And do you have a preference on uh, ducks or geese? Oh, ducks. I'm a duck man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I guess in, in South Dakota, you know, that's probably, well, there's probably both, but that's, that seems like that'd be the name of the game. I just, I don't you know have what a, it is. Uh, I've just always liked ducks more, man. Amen. Some, something about that greenhead's mm-hmm. made uh, people do some crazy things. Oh, yeah. Well, the aerial acrobatics for me, it's just different. Yeah. Yep. And uh, as far as habitat goes, you got a, a preferred, you know, we're talking flooded timber, flooded corn, uh, smart weed, uh, dry fields. What What is your favorite uh, hunting habitat? If I can shoot a two-man limit of ducks on the water, I feel may, way more accomplished doing that than anything else. Um, you know, big water, small water, doesn't matter. I'll say though I'm pretty spoiled with the cornfield hunting in South Dakota, and uh, you know that's <laughs> when you get under a big spin, that's pretty special. But I like. I'm curious as to why water. you added in. I'm curious as to why you added in two man. Well, to me, there's just a difference of, um, like a small, intimate hanging out with your buddy picking and choosing them on the water. If if you shoot 10 ducks on the water to me, you know, you and just another fella versus a big, massive group of dudes in a field, like, there's just something that's, it brings you back in time. You have a nostalgia for something that you maybe don't even know why. But if you and just one friend are sitting there with your strap of ducks picking after a hunt, it is so hard to not feel pure bliss from that. You know, that is like, that is my definition of happiness. And when you get these big groups of guys in the field and stuff, yeah, it's exciting. And there's an adrenaline dump and all this, but when you get done with it, you don't quite feel like you did something as much as you do when it's just you and your pal. That's just me, though. You know, I think part of it is, actually, I was talking to a guy just about this today, is it feels like, to me, clear down to solo hunting. The fewer people there, 
the closer the spiritual tie to nature and the environment for mm-hmm. some reason. That's how I feel about it. No, I think that's fair. You know, you go read some, uh, you go read wild fowling in Dakota, which is like these guys hunting in late 1800s, early 1900s. And you go read any of Nash Buckingham's writings and stuff. They were so tied to their resource and so tied to what they were doing, what they were hunting. And it was them and a pal, you know, it was them and one or maybe two other folk. It wasn't, you know, a group of 10 cycling guys through a field. And listen, man, I was a guide. I know what that is. I like, I've, I've been there. I've done that and I'm not knocking it. It's just not, you know, for me, we're all kind of in this evolution of what we are as a hunter where I know, at least for me, when I started out hunting at, you know, age nine or 12 or whatever, I could have gave a shit less about what the meat tasted like and what it was to eat a duck. I I didn't care at all. You know, as a nine-year-old kid, I had no interest in the actual eating of wild game, what it meant to harvest your own food. And likewise, I, you know, I just cared about shooting ducks. That was all I was interested in. And now, you know, I'm at the point to where the food and the like challenge of figuring out the ducks on my own, me and a friend or me and maybe two other people that matters way more now than it ever did when I was younger. And I think that's just like a natural evolution of who we are as hunters. You know, you, you change over time, you, and we're all in a different place on that spectrum at any given moment. And that's fine. That's great. But I'll remember the, I, I'll never forget the first time I had a plucked duck and I was like, Oh wait, this is what duck can be. It doesn't just have to be a popper. You know, it, it can be like fine dining, like a New York restaurant in the 1900s or, you know, 1904. Like it can be this really exquisite, amazing thing. Um, and, and I think that's part of the spiritual journey of being a duck hunter, man. I really do. I think I, I, I will never knock that 13, 14, 16, 18-year-old me didn't care about that. That was just mm-hmm. like, that was part of who I was then, and now this is part of who I am now. And I'm sure 10 years from now, I'll probably be some old curmudgeon that's like, God damn, all these guys hunting my area. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But. Awesome. Very well said, Sean. Definitely can agree with you on on many of those. And you know, one thing I, I want to add to kind of what you're saying, you, you know, it's uh, having those small groups too, man. There's just something about it the the bond you can create with mm-hmm. you know like minded hunters or you know your your dad or your your brother or whoever it is. You know, it's just um, it's just something that's super cool. So I can agree with you on a lot of what you said there. So. Uh, de- definitely super cool. And I, I don't want to knock. Um, Elliot, you got any? I don't want to knock guys that hunt in big groups, man. Because listen, I've done my fair share of it. I just think it's uh, you know, it's like a time and place thing. You do that for a little bit, and then you eventually maybe grow out of it. Oh yeah. Yep, yep. Like I said, time and place. There's times where where that's fun and all and all good, and there's times where you want to um, <laughs> maybe. Maybe you want to have some uh, relaxation yeah, too. Exactly. So. <laughs> Elliot, you got any uh, you got anything to add here at the end? No, I, I don't think so. I've kind of asked, checked everything off my list. I wanted to talk about. 
Awesome. Well, it's been a great podcast, Sean. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to jump on here and, and uh, share with us. We, we can definitely tell the passion you have for waterfowl, and that's uh, cool to hear from you. And you feel free to go ahead and um, uh, share any uh, places people can find you or follow you and, and uh, have at yeah, that. Absolutely. Um, two big things for us coming in July Duck Lore Season 2 comes out on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. And uh, the new First Light Waterfowl gear drops, which is a big deal for us. Uh, that's, you know, part, it's, it's a meat eater brand. And uh, anyway, give that a look. Watch the new duck lore. Check me out on Instagram if you awesome. want. But really, just go watch duck lore. <laughs> <laughs> Good deal. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Sean Weaver from Meat Eaters Duck Lore, and we'll see you guys on the next one.